So it's really good to see all of y'all guys. I do want to thank y'all for being a part of our um, evening road, our Friday night devotional. And uh, for uh, we we've been talking here in the past or the past two times that I've been with you. This will be our third week, and what we've been calling uh, the first principles of faith. The first principles of faith, and uh, I'm basing this off of a. A creedal statement called the London 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, or the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, is basically a creedal statement that points us to the Scriptures and shows us what we believe in the Scriptures. Um, it certainly is not authoritative in the sense that the Bible, God's Word, is God-breathed, but everything that we're going to see in this statement that we read tonight all has scriptural references to it, and what it's doing is it's pointing us to the scriptures, it's pointing us to the Word of God, and so this will be our third uh, uh, session in the first principles of the faith, and actually chapter one. All right, so it's taken us uh, th- uh, three weeks to get through chapter one, and there's 26 chapters, so most of you will be gone before we ever get finished with the whole thing. But um, the first principle of the faith, and uh, in particular tonight, our subject is the Holy Scriptures. And again, we've talked about that two we, uh, two weeks in a row. This is our third week of talking about it. So if you'll take your uh, your handout that I got for you right there, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it's a passage that I pray for myself and for you every day. One of the things that I pray as a teacher is that God will give me a a yielding heart to to preach His Word without hesitation or reservation and to uh, preach it correctly and to make sure that what I teach you is right because I'm going to be held accountable for every word that comes out of my mouth. And, uh, and so I pray all the time to God and I ask Him, God, please help me to be able to teach the Scriptures in such a way that it helps people to understand it. That's like one of the things that I pray all the time. And Paul kind of prayed something like that for his, the, the uh, members of the church at Ephesus. Look at uh, verse 15. We'll read 15 uh, through 19. It says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Remember, guys, it's very important for us to pray for one another, okay? When you see guys leave out of here, you need to pray for them as they're leaving, and you need to continue praying for them when they leave, right? Right. And you need to um, constantly be uh, encouraging one another. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and revelation of revelation in the knowledge of him so what is paul praying he's praying that god the father uh, will give your spirit wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him now notice that spirit is uh, a small case so it's talking about your spirit all right if it was talking about the holy spirit it would be capitalized right but we know what is the way that god speaks to us It's through His Word and through the power of His Holy Spirit. So what is Paul praying? He's praying that the Father uh, would grant you wisdom and revelation. And not wisdom and revelation about what's going to happen tomorrow or about His purpose and plan for your life, but about Him. Amen. The Bible's about Him. And we need to remember that. It is so easy for us in our fallen nature to make the Scriptures... Uh, egocentric 
Ego is what? Me. And centric means it's centered on me. And so what we try to do is we read into the Bible and we want to read what it tells us about us. But what is Paul praying? He's praying that God will grant your spirit the wisdom and revelation of Him. Right? In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says, Of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Right? It's all about God. It's not about us. It's about Him. And so he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Watch this. This is a beautiful prayer. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. All right. God is the one that called us. We didn't call him. He called us. Remember Adam? What did he say? Adam, where are you? It was God that called Adam, remember? Adam was hiding in the bushes. And if God hadn't come down there in the garden and confronted him, he'd have still been there high naked, right? He, he would have never come out in the bushes. God calls us. The hope of his calling... What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. So what is He praying? Paul is praying that our eyes will be opened, our hearts will be enlightened to who God is and His love for us and the power that comes from Him. And, and what we have as His saints, the inheritance we have. And guys, the only way you're going to learn that is through Scripture. All right? You can't lay, stick it under your pillow and sleep with it and expect osmosis uh, to take place. All right? You're not a plant. All right? It don't work that way. The only way that you are going to learn about God is through His Word. And we, again, in our fallen nature, we'll look anywhere in the world except His Word for what God's got a plan for our life. We'll run around and ask all of our friends, what do you think God's plan for my life is? We'll, we'll look at the pastors on the television screen and we'll, we'll take their word for it. But what we need to do is we need to get into His Word and let His Word conform us to His image. That's, the, that's what happens when you get saved. God saves you and He fills you with His Holy Spirit. And then through feeding on His Word, He can form you to the image of His Son. Amen. And without this Scripture, you are not going to conform. You are, your mind is not going to be transformed. You're not going to have a renewing of the mind so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're going to have a hard head and a hard heart and you're not going to be moldable, you see? Mm-hmm. And so we, we said last time we were together here that... Um, this is a quote from a famous theologian. I did not make this up, so don't give me credit for it. The guy's name was John Owen. He said, this book will keep you from sin, or sin is going to keep you from this book. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth. Amen. Watch when you get out of here. If you slip, if you backslide, if you fall, and, and that's possible, guys. We need to understand that in our human nature. We're capable of falling. Remember Peter with his cocky self? Oh, I'll, I'll hang with you forever, Right? Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is is that without His power and without His Word, we will fall. And, and so we need to understand how important it is to stay in the Scripture. And when you get out of here, you've got to stay in the Scriptures. I, I think all the time about it. It, it shocks me um, that one of the surveys that come out here recently on the state of the evangelical church says that only about 15% of pre- professing Christians have ever read the Bible from cover to cover. 
15% of professing Christians have ever read the Bible from cover to cover. So what does that mean? There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 of us in here. That means that about, on an average, that about one of us in this room has read the Bible from cover to cover. Mm. Think about that. Yeah, don't, don't be proud, right? <laughs> I'm glad you have. I'm, very, I'm, I'm thankful that you have. And it, and it should be something that you do. You, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it should be just as natural as getting up and looking in the fridge for a midnight snack. Like, it should be even more natural than that, right? It should be a part of who we are. We should be in the Word all the time. Um, so we pray. That's uh, something a gift God has given us. But we need to be in His Word. We need to allow His Word to conform us. And so that's why we've been focusing on the in the first principles of faith, what is the establishing principle? That God has given us His Word and that we can know Him through that Word. And that it is through that Word that you are saved. Right? God's Word is what saves you. When someone gives you their Word, they're giving you what? What does it mean to give somebody your Word? A promise. And that's what you have in here. This is God's promise to you. And that promise, the very Word of God, clothed Himself in humanity and walked among us so that we could be saved from the fall of Adam. And so you need to be in this Word. It's very important. And that's why we've been taking such a, a, a time going through. So I really quickly, um, I'm, for those of you who have not been a part of our group, I'm going to like super duper fast go through the first couple of paragraphs of this just to remind you of a couple things. So if you see it, it in the paragraph, it'll have, a, it'll have a creedal statement. Creed, the word creed means I believe, okay? That's what it means, creed. Right? So... Uh, a creedal statement is a statement of what I believe. And if you'll notice in each of these paragraphs, you have a creedal statement, and you'll see some numbers, some footnotes. And what those footnotes are for are to point you to the scriptural references of why we believe what we believe. And I would much rather you focus on those footnotes than I, I would you focus on what it says. Because the footnotes are his word. But it's showing you that this is not just something that some guy just willy-nilly made up. Like this, um, There was a purpose behind these uh, to prevent heresies and, and misunderstandings in the Scripture. So um, we, we learned in, chapter, in the first paragraph of chapter 1 that the Scriptures are sufficient. Right? Sufficient. They're all we need. Um, they're the infallible rule of knowledge, faith, and obedience. And although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God to leave men excusable, they're not sufficient to give a knowledge of God which is necessary for salvation. What do we, we, we talked about this in the past. What do we mean by that? Well, you can go to the jungles in, in, in a rainforest somewhere where some people have never met a missionary before, but, and they will be praying to the sun or the moon or the river or the crocodiles or a totem pole or a rock or something because deep down inside of every human being, there's a knowledge that there is a God. And through nature, God screams out at us that He's there. Nature, natural revelation makes everybody accountable to God because it makes everybody recognize that there's somebody that made all of this. The problem with natural revelation is it's not capable of saving you. That little fellow in that rainforest uh, that's praying to the rock will die and go to hell if somebody don't go tell him about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Natural revelation is not enough to save anybody. Okay, It takes specific revelation. And where did that specific revelation come from? From the sufficiency and the uh, inerrancy of God's Word. So God's Word is what saves us. 
It says, therefore, it pleased God at sundry times in a diverse manner to reveal himself, declare his will to the church, and afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating the church and a more establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan, and the world, <clears throat> he committed those same holy, uh, that commit the same holy unto writing, which makes the holy scriptures to be necessary. Those former ways of God revealing himself uh, have now ceased. And so in the Old Testament, you read about Jacob having a dream about a, Jacob's ladder. Uh, you have Abraham having uh, uh, prob- uh, more than likely uh, the pre-incarnate Christ and the angels come to him to tell him that, uh, about his promise. You have these angels coming to people. Mary, did you know, right? That's the song they sing at Christmas time. I hate that song. I, I'm sorry. I, if you like it, I'm sorry. But Mary knew. And an angel came to her and told her that she was having the Messiah. Like, you're going to be have a child. She had a virgin birth. I'm pretty sure she was aware that there was something special about Jesus. Okay? So Mary didn't know. And I, that's why I don't like that song. Because the Bible tells me Mary knew. An angel came to her and told her that she was having a baby. And it was the promised seed. And so uh, an angel came and revealed to Mary who it was. Right? And so what we need to understand is that in, in the past and in, in various ways in the Old Testament... God spoke to people through dreams and through visions and through angels and all kind of ways like that. But now we have his written word. And there's a purpose for that written word. What does it say? Uh, It says that, um, uh, look there in about the third line from the bottom, it says, uh, And for a more sure establishment and comfort of church against the corruption of the flesh, uh, the malice of Satan and the world, to commit these writings. So the world, the flesh, and the devil is against us, and God made sure that holy men of God, moved by the Spirit of God, wrote what they wrote so that you and I could have a sure word. Dreams will drop you on your head. Visions will drop you on your head. Revelations will drop you on your head. God's word is always faithful and true. The enemy knows how to use dreams and revelations and visions and premonitions and feelings and experiences. The enemy can use those, but he can't. Well, he can try to use the Word of God, but he can't. He can't break God's truth. He can't break God's promise. So that was kind of the the first chapter. Uh, the second one, and uh, and paragraph number two, we learned that the Holy Scriptures were divided into the Old and New Testament. Um, we talked about in the past. We talked about in the Old Testament um, that uh, the Jewish people call their Bible the Tanakh, right? And the Tanakh is divided into three different sections. You have uh, the Torah, which means the Law. Uh, that's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those. Then you have Tanakh is Torah. Uh, in is Nevim. It means um, uh, the prophets. So you have um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. That crowd, the prophets. And then Tanakh, T N K. They don't they don't have uh, vowels in their in their alphabet. So K is uh, the Ketavim, and it means the writings. So that would be the book, wisdom books, and also um, the chronological, the his, historical books. So uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Isaiah. I mean, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, um, Esther, First Second Chronicles, First Second Kings. Those books. And so that's how their their Bible is divided up. And then of course we have the New Testament, which generally in the church, the church is more has more of a tendency to lean towards the New Testament. Um, most people you talk to can uh, can tell you a lot of stuff more in the New Testament than they can about the Old Testament. And um, that's not really a good thing. We really need to be balanced out. You really need to understand the Old Testament because the Old Testament is, is um, 
God's Word just as much as the New. So that was something we talked about in paragraph 2. Um, we talked about uh, that, that. Let's turn to that verse really quick there at the end of paragraph number 2. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16. And what did we learn there? Let's find it. Yeah, read that for us. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Okay. It says all Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God, inspired. You inspire someone. Inspiration is breath, right? Uh, Inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, uh, for correction and for training in righteousness. And we talked about all of those things last time we were together. What does it mean to reprove somebody? It means to correct them. We don't like to be corrected. We, that's not something we enjoy. Uh, but the Scriptures will correct you, right? They, they will point out the things that's going wrong in your life. Uh, and, and they'll help you to understand. Uh, so reproof and correction, training in righteousness. So it's profitable for teaching and for doctrine and for reproof. And um, there's a there's a huge tendency in the modern evangelical churches to kind of put the foo-foo on doctrine. You'll hear people say, oh, we don't need that doctrine stuff. We don't need that, that doctrine and that theology stuff. That just hampers the spirit where he can't work. You know, have you ever heard anybody say something like that? Oh, that doctrine, man, that's too deep. You don't have to get all that. You just, <clears throat> well, the word doctrine means teachings. All right? And... Jesus was very adamant about teaching the Word of God. And so I want you to understand something about the way God works. Regeneration is a renewing of the heart and the mind. Okay, When God gives you new life, He changes your heart. He gives you a new heart and a new mind. But God works through the mind before He works through the heart. How do you, how, what does the Bible say? Salvation comes by hearing. And hearing what? The Word of God. And so it's got to go through your mind. It's got to be processed. Right? So God does not want you to just be some ignorant holy roller that runs around all day just feely-feely and just, oh, well, I'm just going to go with whatever my feelings say today. That's not what He wants. Your faith has to be established on truth. Yes. And that's where God's Word comes in. It's the truth that we need. And that truth affects the mind and the heart. And there's nothing in the world wrong with knowing the Scriptures. There's nothing in the world wrong with memorizing the Scriptures and applying those Scriptures and meditating on those Scriptures, chewing over them. Right? That's what it means to meditate. Y'all do know that, right? To meditate. Anybody ever told y'all that? To meditate means to chew on it like you're chewing cud. Y'all ever seen a cow out in the field moving their mouth around? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, what is a cow doing? He's chewing cud. A cow's got four stomachs. He's a ruminant. The same way with sheep. And they walk around and they, like a Hoover vacuum, they walk around all day and they eat grass, eat grass, eat grass, and they fill up that first stomach. It's a big stomach. And they fill it up and then they go sit down somewhere and they burp it back up. And they chew it better, and then it goes down into that second stomach. So to chew the cud means to 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 grind up what you've been what you've taken in. You see, and it's the same word. It, it means the same thing. To meditate on God's words means to to chew on it, right? 
to think about what you're reading. And so it's very important for us to remember that God works through our minds and our hearts. And it starts in the mind. Right? Renew my mind. Renew my heart. That's what God's Word does. And so... Um, that verse is, says all Scripture, that means the Old and the New Testament, inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, so that a man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So, if you're not in the Word, what's the opposite of adequate? Inadequate. inadequate. And what is the opposite of um, equipped? Unequipped. Right? You, you come into a what, what is it saying? You come into a, a gunfight with a knife, right? Right. Mm. So, so what is one of the things that? What is one of the parts of armor? What is the last part of armor? What is the only offensive piece of armor? Sword, sword. Yeah, the sword, the spirit, the word, and you need that sword sharp. You need to know how it slides in and out of the, the sheath. You know, you need to practice it and use it and, and hold it and feel its weight. It, it's the same way that, that that somebody does when they're a swordsman. And it's the same way with God's Word. You need to be equipped to know how to use what you got. Uh, right? Uh, Fellas, got a nice study Bible right there. Study Bibles are wonderful. But if, if you don't study it, what good is it? And, and we have all kind of technology today. When you get out of here, you're going to see. When you get your Bible and you have a question and you scratch your head about a verse of Scripture, you go on the Internet and type in that verse and there will be 50,000 hits on sermons about that verse and and commentaries about that verse. There's, there's, there's so much information out there. Not all of it's good, but it's out there. And it's available for you. And you need to understand that and you need to put it to use. Right? And again, I was telling you all at the beginning of the class, if only 1 in 15, right? that's not 15%. Though. 1 in 15 is not 15%. Y'all should have corrected me on my math a minute ago. Why didn't y'all correct me? Right? Well, 10% of 15 is 1.5, so it would really be about two and a half of us have read. What? You mean you've read it. I'm not going to ask the rest of you guys. But, but you see, and, and why am I saying that? Why, why is that so important? Because I challenge teenagers all the time. I work with teenagers. I work with youth. And most of them wouldn't know Jonah from Jesus. I, and I, I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. And I'll tell them all the time, well, you know, how do you believe, how can you believe that's real? How do you believe that book's real? It's been transmitted over thousands of years and different men are translated, blah, blah, blah. And it's always the same arguments. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell them this. I say, look, read it for yourself and you decide what it says. Stop taking other people's word for it. If only one, if only 15% of people have read it, then that means that most of the people. That means that most people are coming around and telling you what it says or what it and and trying to apply it to your life for you have never read it themselves. They're taking somebody else's word for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to mold you and conform you to the image of Christ unless you read it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, I, listen. Go to church. A preacher is a wonderful gift from God. Teachers are wonderful gifts from God. But you got to put in time yourself. And you'll get out of it what you put in it, I promise you. And the Lord will use it. But if you don't get in it, it ain't going to get in you. It's just, it's just that simple. So, um, we finished up that one. And that was one, two, and three. And we got to four 
Um, we talked about the authority of the script. Uh, actually, we got to three last time we were together because I listened to it before I came tonight. So we finished up three. It says the books called the Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are not part of the canon or the rule of Scripture. That word canon means rule. Or canon is the standard, if you will. All right, canon is a standard. And so um, if you, any of you are in here are from a Roman Catholic background, um, you would, uh, maybe, maybe some of the high churches, the Anglican, the Episcopalian, uh, you, you may have an Apocrypha in your Bible. The Apocrypha is a group of books. We read them together last time we were here. Um, I'm not going to read them again. It's a group of books that are not part of the inspired Word of God. Um, they're good to read, and they're an enjoyable read, but they're not used for doctrine, reproof, and teaching, and correction, and they don't make a man adequate and equipped for working you see so that uh that was the apocrypha we talked about that how the word apocrypha means um hidden writings or hidden message you know so it, a lot of it was a lot of gnostic uh nonsense there's some there's some really good stories in there there's some really cool stuff if you want to read it just for literature um then i would certainly say yeah go ahead um one of the books i really liked um was sirach uh, s-i-r-a-c-h and it's um basically like a problem it's almost like proverbs it, Sirach, yeah, Sirach. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not a Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew at all. But it, it's um, it's a good. It's it's a lot of little pro- proverbial sayings, kind of like the Book of Proverbs. It's very very similar. If you didn't know it, you'd think you were reading Proverbs. Um, so there are some good stuff in there. But uh, again, the main emphasis was that the apocryphal books are not inspired by God. Now um, let's look at uh, four together there. Um, paragraph four, the authority of Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed dependeth, now you see this old king in English, right? It's 1600 when they wrote it. Dependeth not upon the testimony of a man or church, but wholly upon God who is truth itself. The author thereof, therefore it is to be received because it is the Word of God. So why do we receive the Word of God? Because it's the Word of God. Now you get out into the uh, public and uh, non-believers are going to tell you that that's circular reasoning. You're using a circular reason. Well, i got to believe it because it's the Word of God. But what says it's the Word of God? The Word of God says it's the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And it is circular reasoning, but the reality is it's circled around God, and that's a good kind of reasoning to have, right? Uh, and so um, I, I want to look at a couple of... Let's look at a couple of those verses. Let's turn to Second Peter um, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And this is what it says. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as a light or a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. It's really cool. The day star arises in your heart. The morning star arises in your heart. So think about back in Genesis when the the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters and it was dark. And what did God say? Let there be light. And so it's the same thing. The Spirit of God and the Word of God work to bring light to to the heart. The Spirit of God and the Word of God bring life out of death, right? And so God literally has to... We read God's Word. It said, You have this prophetic Word made more sure, which you will do well to pay attention to, a lamp shining in a dark place. 
until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So what is that saying? As we read God's Word and we're in God's Word, God's Spirit and the Word of God are used to let there be light, to bring light. Now remember what Paul prayed in Ephesians. What did he say? That the the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. What does that mean? Boom, the lights come on. You see? And so um, Peter is emphasizing the same thing that Paul did. And look what it says next. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Guys, I can't tell you how many wackadoo, prophetic, fear-mongering wackadoos we got out there running around. Reading Revelation and telling you what it says and and they're just making up stuff. Right? Man, they're applying everything in the world and, and they, they're using the lens of the morning newspaper to... to to interpret the scriptures. Think about that. Well, this is happening over in Israel today, and this is happening in Afghanistan, and oh my goodness, oh, that must be this. And they read into Revelation Afghanistan and 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 the United States and President Trump and 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 you know Obama and they guys, that's not what the Bible's there for. It's not there for it to give you a a, a uh, crystal ball to see what's going to happen in the future. It's given to you so that you can know Christ. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it says that these prophecies were not a matter of one's own interpretation. Be careful about proof texting. Do y'all know what proof texting is? Proof texting means that somebody comes to you and they re- they have a an argument or a, a, something they, they believe, and they use one verse of Scripture as the foundation for everything that they believe about that. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head that uh, a, a proof text. I can't think of one right this minute. But what it means is to take one verse of Scripture and establish a whole doctrine on just one Scripture. Well, what's wrong with that? No other Scripture before it and after it. And the Word of God has to, if, if the Spirit of God breathed it out, then what does that mean? There's not going to be any contradictions in it. You see? So when somebody starts giving you prophecy, and, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking this in your head, you're scratching your head, and you're going, well, wait a minute. If that means that, then that can't mean that. You ever done that before? Well, there's a problem. It's got to all mesh together. If the Spirit of God is the one speaking through the Word of God, it's not going to contradict itself. And so what does it say? Um, We're going to get more into that here in just a few minutes, but basically we need to understand that Scripture interprets Scripture. Amen. Would an example of that be like asking you shall receive? Like people take that one bite. It could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or um, I, oh, I got I got the perfect one. I got I got a I got a perfect one. Um, Jeremiah, no, I, it, it, well, here's two, I, and I'll probably get some of y'all's business because I'm, I'm sure it's one of your favorites. Jer, what is it? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Yeah. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to, right? Plans to give you hope in the future. There you go. All right, good. All right, that's one I can think of. And the reality is this. That was written in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was being told by God that he was fixing to send his people, his chosen people, into slavery for 70 years because they were an idolatrous mess. Mm -hmm. 
But he was encouraging Jeremiah and saying, but at the end of 70 years, I have plans to prosper you. And to, you, you see? And so what do we do? We take that out and say, oh, you know, I, I, God has plans to prosper me. Well, does he? Yeah. And salvation, is there's an eternal plan of prosperity in there. Mm-hmm. Right? But guys, if you're living your best life now, you're going to hell. You ever thought about that? If you're living your best life now, and that's what all of these prosperity preachers are preaching, then you're going to hell. So, what do you tell Jesus when He was hanging on the cross? Right? God had a plan for Jesus' life. And it was to prosper Him. And, and, And so He could take that verse and claim it. But the reality is He had to go through a lot of suffering, didn't He? And we will too. And so what happens to people that all they hear is this huffy, puffy, happy, happy, joy, joy stuff? They're disappointed. Yeah, they get disappointed. Well, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Well, because you're an idolatrous mess. And I've got to put you under discipline so that you'll turn to me and stop trusting in yourself. That was the message to the Israelites. And we should take that message and apply it in our lives too, right? So yeah, God does have plans to prosper you, right? But he also has plans to discipline you too. All right, here's another one for that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yep, yeah, yeah. And and so you got some guy on the uh, you know on a bench uh, lifting weights. He got 450 pounds on the bar, you know, and he he's got his. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Shirt on. And that means he can bench press 450 pounds. Well, he may be able to bench press that 450 pounds. And God is the one that gives him the physical ability to do that. There's no doubt about that. But when Paul used that verse, Paul said, I know how to both... He said, in whatever state that I am, I have learned to be content. I know how to both abase and to abound. What does it mean to abase? It means to live under the bridge with nothing. Yep. And I know how to abound, have a little money in the bank account. Paul said, I've been locked up in jails. I've been beat. I've seen God's blessings in my life. I've seen uh, God's discipline in my life. And no matter what my situation is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see? It wasn't, it wasn't something that you claim so that you're going to run a four, four flat 40. That's not what the purpose of that verse. And so that would be an example, another example of a proof text. People pulling stuff out of, of it. And, and so, so why don't people pull out... Uh, uh, you know Jeremiah. What what is it? Uh, the the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know that's a verse you can pull out of context. Nobody ever pulls that one out of context. Uh, so uh, just be careful uh, about about one verse doctrines, like building a whole doctrine, a whole teaching based on one verse, because it's got to harmonize with the rest of Scripture. Okay, so um, now uh, we'll go ahead and close with this. We'll finish up with this. We'll finish with four tonight. Of course, we'll, we won't get any further than that. But um, it says the authority of Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed depended not on the testimony of any man or a church, but wholly upon God who is truth itself. So who is the source of the authority of Scripture? God, God himself. God. Now, why am I bringing that up? Well, because there are certain religions, there are certain uh, isms out there that say the reason the Bible is authoritative is because we made it canon. We, the church, give the Bible its authority. We're the ones that tell you what's the right Scripture. 
what's authoritative scripture? All right? Well, what's the problem with that? Not everybody goes to church. Well, no, it's not just that, but where does the church get its authority from? God. And the Word of God. It's the Word of God that establishes the church, and then you have people turn around and say, oh, we the church establish the Word. You see how that works? That's wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. They're using their authority to say our authority is what gives the Word of God its authority. That's not right. The authority always comes from the Word. It's the Word that gives us... It's the Word that gives you the authority to stand up in the pulpit and preach it. And if you see somebody standing up in a pulpit and preaching it, and they're not preaching the Word, or they're preaching contrary to what the Word says, then they have no authority. And so we need to understand that it's God's Word that gives the church its authority, not the church that gives God's Word its authority. That's very important. Again, it goes all back to that, what we said at the beginning of the class, about how in our fallen condition, we always like to make everything, big fancy word here, anthropocentric. Anthro, anthro meaning what? Anthropology, the study of... No, that's arachnophobia. That's arachnopology or something like that. Man, that's that right. We love, and in our fallen nature, we love for everything to be man-centered. It's about man. The Bible teaches us that everything is about God, and it's all God-centered. And we need to make sure that in our study of His Word, and that our following Him and walking with Him, that we're centered on His truth and His authority and His promises and not our own, okay? So uh, we'll close with that tonight. Um, Let me read that verse for you there in 2 Peter one more time. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Why does it do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place? If you ever got up in the middle of the night and tried to go to the bathroom and kick your pinky toe on the coffee table, yeah. right? You can understand why a lamp in a dark place is a good thing, Amen. right? You can understand that. And not only that, we live in a dark, dark world. And we need God's light to be able to walk. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? And so we need to make sure that we are uh, paying attention to this word until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. We get in a lot of trouble in Bible studies a lot of times when we say, well, what do you think? What do you think that verse says? And somebody will say, well, I don't know. What do you think that verse says? And you'll stand around and everybody will give their idea what what they think that verse says. Be careful about giving your own interpretation. So what do I do? I say, well, what does the Word say the Word says? Like, I let Scripture I let scripture validate and substantiate Scripture. All right? And it says, um, for no prophecy um, was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God's will was that you know Him. God's will was that you would know His Son and repent and believe the gospel and be saved. Right? That's God's will. And so what did God do? He took His Spirit and moved upon men to put His will in writing so that we could know Him and understand Him. And you need to be in there, guys, okay? Father, thank You for this night. Thank You for this time together. Thank You for the beautiful 
uh, living uh, Word of God that we have. Um, Lord, I think about all of your saints, all of your servants in the past who have shed their blood so that we could have this in our language so that we could understand it. People have been persecuted for thousands of years uh, for preaching your word and preaching your truth. And yet in your will and in your good providence, you've made sure that we could know you. And I just pray for every man and woman here in this room, all of those hearing this message, that they would have the eyes of their heart and light so that they might know the power uh, and, and the beauty of who you are. So please help us to do that. Give us a hunger for your word. Uh, give us the willingness and the desire to know that truth, receive that truth, believe that truth, and walk in that truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.